Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Well, good morning. It's hour two of Mornings with Carmen on this 5th of October. So I want to talk here at the outset, at the open, about our expectations, the expectations that we have of one another. So before I ask you the question, I want you to just think in general terms about how you expect uh, to be treated and how you expect to treat people in common spaces. So are those spaces that we inhabit together in the world, restaurants, office buildings, theaters, churches, uh, each one of these environments, I, I mean, you know, even like on the road, right? I have expectations of how you're going to behave and you have expectations of how I'm going to behave. And, you know, you need to keep the uh, the yellow line on your left and the white line on your right in order that we all might proceed peaceably. I mean, I need to respect your brake lights. You, you know, I it, it just, you know, turn off your high beams if you're coming at me on a, you know, dark country road. Like, okay, so our expectations of one another. That's what I want to talk about here for just a moment. What expectations do you have in terms of the privacy you would experience in a bathroom? I have pretty high privacy expectations in the bathroom. Um, how about the sanctity of your own home or the freedom to do your work, whatever your work is, the freedom to do your work without screaming harassment in your ear, over your shoulder all the time? Like right now, I have the expectation um, of quiet where I work. Paul has the expectation um, in, in the studio where he is that there's not going to be people banging on the glass, uh, because otherwise then you and I, our conversation would be disrupted and our ability to do what we're really here to do would would be inhibited. So this weekend, Senator Joe Manchin was targeted while he was on his houseboat. Now, that's where he lives when he's in D.C. I want you to just imagine for just a moment you live on a houseboat. A houseboat is tied to a dock. There is one way on and one way off. And if there is a marauding horde of people um, standing on the dock, screaming at you, you literally have no escape. Just think about that for just a moment. How is that not bullying? All right, his uh, his boat is called Almost Heaven, you know, a reference to the John Denver song about Manchin's home state of West Virginia. The boat is understood by the members of Congress and the press, and the press, as off-limits. It's a safe sanctuary of sorts from politics. And until yesterday... Until yesterday, it was treated with some sanctity, for lack of a better word. But yesterday, progressive protesters from Senator Manchin's own Democratic Party surrounded the boat, verbally berated him for failing to deliver on what they see, what they see, as only halfway to what they really want. Being held captive on a boat from which protesters are physically blocking your only exit 
That's one thing. That's one thing. But women and men following a woman into the ladies' room and continuing to berate her and to film it and to verbally assault her, that's bullying behavior. It takes this whole thing to a next level, and that's exactly what happened to Senator Kristen Sinema. What, what happened to a woman's right to privacy in the bathroom, or a man's right to privacy for that matter? Let's just think about that for just a moment. If then-Senator Joe Biden had been followed into the men's room and filmed, would he have responded differently than he did yesterday when he was asked about this and shrugged it off and said it's just part of the process that happens to everybody? This is not just part of the process if we are, in fact, a decent people. And if this has become an accepted part of the process, then the process needs to change. More on that in just a moment. We'll be right back. Paul's playing that because we call this segment Leftovers, which means uh, I'm talking. So I look forward to your uh, feedback and comments. You can always text me during the show at 877-933-2484. And I I haven't completed my thought yet in relationship to the assault of our elected government officials by fellow Americans. It wasn't okay. When it was happening at restaurants uh, or gas stations, it wasn't okay when it was happening at their homes. It's certainly not okay when it's happening uh, in the bathroom. It's not okay when we're dropping kids off at school. It wouldn't be okay if someone were visiting their aging parent. It's not acceptable behavior in a civil society. It's not just part of the process. It cannot be. So, yes, the First Amendment of the Constitution makes this mutual promise. It's we the people promising this to one another, by the way. We're, we're actually committing to one another in the First Amendment um, that we will respect the free exercise of any and every religion and its expression. Free speech, a free press, and yes, the right of a free people, we the people, to peaceably assemble and to petition the government for redress of grievances. Here's what I want to invite you to think about today. What is meant by the people? And what does it mean to peaceably assemble? And then what does it mean to petition? And how is the government defined? I mean, does, does the First Amendment mean that if you're not personally getting your way, what you want, then you're insured of a right to lay in wait for a U.S. senator when she steps off a commercial airliner and surround her and verbally assault her as she walks? Because that sure does sound like bullying to me. Is that the people? Or is that just some bad individuals? And is that the kind of peaceable protest that the framers had in mind? How about blocking the door of a bathroom stall 
Or how about blocking the only egress from a room where there's only one door? Or a boat where there's only one way to the dock? Is just screaming your fool head off a legitimate form of petition? Or, or, did the framers, and therefore we, should have a different view in mind? Because I really think we are at a grave moral moment in terms of national decorum. Um, The failure of the president to condemn the behavior and brushing it off with, well, it happens to everyone who doesn't have the benefit of Secret Service protection, that is not an, uh, an acceptable standard for us as a people. It was irresponsible. It was a failure of moral leadership. And these are the members of his own party being bullied by people in our culture who clearly don't know how to behave themselves. So I know that this is stronger language than I generally use. But this is a moment of cultural devolution that I actually think we can all understand. No one wants to be followed into, trapped and filmed in the bathroom of their own office building. Nobody wants that. And so if if you shrug and say, well, it's just the cost of doing business, it's just part of the process as an American politician, then who in their right mind is ever going to run for office in the future? Who in their right mind is ever going to be willing to serve at any level of U.S. governance if we treat people like this at school board meetings or at the, in the U.S. Senate? And where did these people get the idea that personal harassment and bullying was the way to get their way in 2020 America? Well, the problem is they got the idea from a member of Congress. This is actually what Congresswoman Maxine Waters has been calling for. She calls for confrontation. She coaches people on how to intimidate and target her fellow lawmakers in public when they're doing anything that doesn't align with a, a preferred political agenda. Now, that, to be perfectly clear, is not democracy. And it certainly is not consensus-building, peacemaking leadership fit for a pluralistic society. And if the president of the United States won't say it, I will. Stop it. This is not who we are, and this is not how we treat one another. And this is not a road we want to proceed any further down. So, yes, make your voice heard and speak your peace, but do it peaceably and petition the government. When democracy is not producing the results that you prefer, run for office or vote for people who will do who are aligned with your worldview. Like that is how this works. So three things to do today. Number one, use the measure of the golden rule. Check your own rhetoric, your own social media, your own thoughts, words, and deeds, and repent where necessary. Apologize where appropriate. The golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. If you don't want somebody stalking you in the bathroom and filming, then don't consider doing it to someone else. And yes, use the power of your voice. Say it out loud. Say it's wrong. Say it out loud in your conversations, on your social media, And it doesn't matter if the public official being targeted is a Republican or a Democrat, a man or a woman, a person of color or white or wears a wig or you don't like their personal ethics. If they're on their way up, they're on their way out, they're on their way down, whatever. What what matters is that they are a person with inherent dignity 
Say out loud, we will treat them as we would want to be treated by them if the roles were reversed. And then pray for our nation. This is a fragile moment. Nations rise and fall. And more often than not, it's not the big things or the big external enemies that bring them down. It's the lead in the water. It's a trillion little things. It's the enemy within that erodes the foundation to the point that the idea, that the idea can no longer stand. So let us not be the people who further erode the foundation today. Let us do our part to strengthen what remains. Lest we arrive at a time like that described in the book of Judges, where, having forgotten God, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And then, frankly, God help us. We'll be right back. Cold pizza for breakfast. Warm Coke to wash it down. Maybe a couple of anchovies. All right, uh, Tim in, uh, in Hartford. Yes, I am coming to Hartford. All you have to do is text the word EVENT. To the number that you already texted, and I'm pretty sure you're going to get a really great bounce back way of signing up for that event. And I hope that works. If it doesn't, you can text me something else and I will figure it out. All right, there you go. That's what I know. If you live in the Hartford area and you want to get together with me on, I don't have it in front of me. It's whatever the Saturday is of like October the 23rd, I think. It's late in the day. It's kind of a late afternoon thingamajig. It's free, but you do have to uh, let us know that you're coming because space is limited. So text the word event to 877-933-2484. There you go. Not a very good announcement because I didn't have all the factoids in front of me. I'll do better tomorrow. Um, all right. Thank you for all of your other texts this morning. Let's um, let's cover a few other headlines here uh, quickly in uh, in this segment that we uh, that we have left. Um, trouble is brewing in the Indo-Pacific. And you say to yourselves, what's that about? Well, that's about China. Um, in my view, testing the United States to see with with all that we have in go- going on at home and all of the disruption here, do we have the time and energy to pay attention to what China is doing in relationship to Taiwan? My hope is, yes, our eyes are wide open. We see what you're doing. We're paying attention. And, um, and no, uh, we don't find it acceptable. So a record number of military jets from China, 56 of them, 56 Chinese military jets flew into Uh, Taiwan's airspace just two days after um, that same number of planes had done the same thing. So the State Department here in the United States is expressing concern, um, saying that, yes, it's destabilizing. um, It risks uh, miscalculations. It undermines regional peace and stability. So we're keeping our eye on what China is up to uh, in relationship to Taiwan. Um, In pro-life related news, you're going to hear about this today, um, certainly here on My Faith Radio, but elsewhere as well. The Biden administration on Monday reversed a Trump era rule and actually reinstituted an Obama era rule, which um, allows for abortion referrals. So um, if there's a clinic that's receiving federal Title uh, 10 funding, those clinics can now refer um, refer women directly to abortion providers. So that's what's going on here. They still can't perform the abortions, but they can um, 
they can direct women to them. Today on Capitol Hill, Facebook whistleblower Francis Haugen um, is going to testify before a congressional committee. Why does that matter? Because a lot of us are on Facebook and a lot of us do not understand the algor- the algorithms that Facebook uses to get our eyeballs on things that are designed to make us angry and be mean to each other. So she um, she has outed Facebook in a Wall Street Journal whistleblower series. She then revealed her identity uh, Sunday night on CBS during a 60 Minutes episode. And today she's testifying in D.C. Um, she's testifying to the fact that Facebook's own research shows that it amplifies hate, misinformation, and political unrest, not only here in the United States, but around the world. She is uh, definitely someone to watch and pay attention to. If you also, if you don't know the story of um, of Brittany Kaiser, um, she these are all of the same things that she testified to in relationship to uh, the the shenanigans at Facebook related to the 2016 elections here in the United States, but also um, Brexit in the UK. So her testimony was before British Parliament. And so a lot of people here, frankly, didn't pay attention to it. But Brittany Kaiser uh, has blown the whistle uh, on Facebook in much the same way that uh, that now um, Francis uh, Haugen is doing as well. That's definitely a story to follow and to understand the times in which we live. All right, now I have this. I got a couple of of headlines that will enable you to have conversations today that give you a chance to talk about the Bible. That's pretty cool, right? So there was only one Powerball ticket uh, sold in Cal, and it was sold in California. So one individual holds a ticket. For $699 million, that was the Powerball uh, jackpot yesterday. And so it got me thinking, you know, I don't know, what would you do? You wouldn't, even if you won the $699 million, by the way, you wouldn't get $699 million because you would probably want a lump sum payout. And so that would already be a reduced amount. And then you'd pay half of that in taxes. And so anyway, so there you go. And then, you know, and then you'd have your tithe. So then you'd have what you'd have, whatever that would be. Okay, so... Let's talk about our treasure and where it is located. And let's talk about Matthew chapter 6. I encourage you to read the entirety of Matthew chapter 6 today and think about the laying up of treasures. Because like, right, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. But that verse comes in a context. And it comes in the context of a larger conversation that Jesus is having in the Sermon on the Mount. And so let me encourage you to read the entirety of Matthew chapter 6 today. Consider where your treasure is. Consider where your heart is. Um, And then maybe consider the pearl of great price. Remember the parable that Jesus tells about the the individual who found a pearl um, in a field, and he went and bought the field so that he could possess the pearl? Okay, you are that pearl of great price. Like, that's how much God loves you. That once you're found, like, right, he was willing to go to great lengths and pay a great price in order that you could be reconciled to him, possessed of him. There you go. There is a couple who found a four-carat diamond in an Arkansas diamond park, which now is the second story of someone who found a big diamond in that park. So I think everybody's going to be headed to Arkansas. But the Pearl of Great Price parable and the teaching of Jesus related to money and where our heart is in Matthew chapter 6 
would be the text of scripture to spend time in today in preparations for the conversations that lie ahead. All right, next up, we're going to talk with author Bonnie Gray on her debut book, Sweet Like Jasmine. That's up next. You're on Mornings with Carmen. If you live as a second culture individual, which is to say if for whatever reason you um, you don't feel as if you are part of the dominant culture, my, uh, my next guest is going to be a delight to your heart and soul. Her name is Bonnie Gray. The book is Sweet Like Jasmine, Finding Identity in a Culture of Loneliness. Yeah, you're going to just love this. That's up next. You're Mornings with Carmen. This is Max Lucado. The dramatic story of Esther includes a clueless brood of a king, a devious bloodthirsty Haman, a nation of Jews under threat of extermination, Mordecai defiant and determined, Esther gorgeous and gutsy. Haman is the villain of the story, and Mordecai, an exiled Jew, really got under his skin. Esther 2.7 says Mordecai had a cousin whom he had brought up. Esther had a lovely figure and was beautiful. And God, where's God in this story? You know, the book of Esther is one of the two books in the Bible that never mention the name of God. But a gold nugget lies in the substratum of the Esther story, quiet providence. Providence is the term theologians use to describe God's continuous control over history. He is regal, he is royal, and this is essential. He is right here, and he is right here for you. This is Max Lucado. My guest is Bonnie Gray. She is an author, a speaker, a blogger, and a podcaster. Her new memoir is Sweet Like Jasmine, Finding Identity in a Culture of Loneliness. You can find Bonnie and additional resources related to the book uh, on this launch day at thebonniegray.com. Bonnie, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Good morning, Carmen. So happy to be here on launch day. On launch like day. Oh, it's so wonderful. Yes. It's so wonderful. This is a very personal, intimate um, look, not only into your own life, but I think into the challenges that many, many people experience, but do so silently and and aren't able to put the kind of words to um, that that you have done so beautifully in this book. So frame for people what you've done in Sweet Like Jasmine and invite them into the experience. Well, the book Sweet Like Jasmine, there's a subtitle here that says a lot. Sweet Like Jasmine, Finding Identity in a Culture of Loneliness. And, you know, what's really interesting, Carmen, is that I never felt that I was a lonely person because I felt loneliness meant I don't have friends or I don't see anybody. But actually, I do have lots of friends. But here's the secret that I talk about in Sweet Like Jasmine, the story. I love a page turner. And it's that there's a part of my story I just hid. I hid from myself. I hid from other people around me because I didn't want to be different. My mother mm-hmm. is a mail-order bride from Hong Kong, a mail-order bride from Hong Kong, Carmen, and she, is a t- she was a teenage mother. 
She immigrated here with my father, who is a busboy in a noodle shop. I mean, it sounds interesting from a story point of view. So I hope, you know, it's compelling people to pick up a copy of the book. But when I was growing up, this is not something I would want to go to school to tell people about. And then when my father left when I was seven years old, it's like it was another chapter in my story that I couldn't share with anybody, Um, you know, because I didn't know where he went. I don't know why he didn't come back for me. I didn't even know why he left. Just one morning, I woke up rubbing sleep out of my eyes. And for those of us who have been um, wounded by divorce, whether in our own marriages or as a child or as a friend, we see somebody go through it. I woke up, I saw a bag, you know, baggages packed. And there's just like, my mom and dad are yelling, you know, between the screen door, I'm just standing there. I have no idea what's happening. The last memory I had of my dad was he was peeling out of the driveway in his Nova, olive green Nova, with the peeling rooftop, driving off, screeching tires. That is the last memory I had of him. Then my mother started cutting up pictures, Carmen. She immediately, I was like, what is going on? Where, where is dad? Where is he going? I was seven years old. And it's interesting. I'm a grown-up now woman with two boys of my own. I still remember that moment, seven years old. And my mom just started ripping out his photos from the photo album, you know, those plastic vinyl mm-hmm. covers. Oh yeah, totally. And, okay. He start, she just started cutting pictures straight into the middle of his faces. And he's like, she's like, what are you doing standing there? You know, take out all those pictures of him. And I was just thinking, oh my gosh, Carmen, I- I'm not going to end up. It was like, you know, weeds under a lawnmower type situation Mm. all over the living floor. And I was thinking to myself, maybe she's so furiously cutting them up. I can keep one photo behind me or underneath me, you know, as I'm Mm -hmm. cutting them up. And she's like, what are you doing? What, what you, you, you want a picture of him? I said, I'm not in it. Uh, You're not in it. Can we just keep one please? And she's like, why do you want to live with him? And between Mm. us here. Okay. We just want to be honest here. I know it's early, but you know, sometimes honesty is like the best medicine. Honesty is the best coffee and honesty is also our best friend. You know, when we find somebody we could just be honest with, you know, that's where our loneliness lifts. Okay. Mm. So she pulls me over to the phone. This is back when we used to have phones on the wall, cordless. On the wall with the long cord. Oh yeah. Okay. You're there with me, girl. So Mm -hmm. she's like, oh, why don't I call him now? Why don't you just go pack your bags right now? Then you like him so much. Mm. And you know what? It's so hard to talk about these moments because we don't want people to think we don't love our moms or our dads or our children. You know, there, are mo- there is a moment where each of us are in front of our cut up photos, whatever that is, mm-hmm. you know, and I didn't know what to do. You know what? Suddenly I stopped crying, Carmen. I said, oh, no, 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 I, no, I'm fine. I'm good. No. And, you know, it was kind of a metaphor moment for me where I understood it didn't matter if I wasn't happy. It didn't matter if I didn't understand something. The most important thing to me at that moment was to be quiet. Hmm. And I learned something from my family code growing up. It doesn't matter how I feel because if I can't change something, just be quiet and move on. And, you know, by God's grace, 
he understands those moments in our lives, Carmen. He understands in the moment we're going through a hard time, those valleys, we make vows to ourselves when we're alone and we don't know what to do. But God is saying to us this morning and to me, you don't have to stay there. You don't have to keep holding on to your vows to be strong because I love you. I'm with you. You can, you can fall into my arms. Jesus said, come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your soul. Notice it doesn't say, come to me cheerful. Come to me uh, happy. Come to me optimistic and, hey, tell me what your plan is. No, it's the complete opposite. Come to me as you are. And, you know, it sounds great, but I didn't understand or experience that in my life. So even though I, I held on to that truth, I I didn't know how to live it out. I didn't know how to, who do I go to, you know? So this story, Sweet Like Jasmine, is about how I kind of grew up hiding all these different moments in my life where I just went through it alone and strong which at the time, by God's grace, he gives us the ability to do, because we have to get through hard times, but we were not made to continue indefinitely carrying those burdens alone. Right. And so what happened was I stumbled. This is later. Like I said, I'm a mom now. I have two teenagers, 13 and 15. I named them Josh and Caleb. Mm -hmm. I wanted to remind myself I'm writing a new story with my children, building a new family, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought the best way to do it is to erase the past. Don't talk about the bad things that happened in my past. And we talk about many different journeys that have gone on, you know, to, to, to find that were difficult. But I thought that's what God wanted. I thought that's how I build my faith up, you know, but God, he is so interesting. He's so funny. He knew how to get me to go back to heal those moments in the past because I stumbled on my own birth certificate. So uh, Carmen, do you ever look closely at your birth certificate? When was the last time you looked at it? So I'm going to pause right there. Um, and I'm going to think about that question and I'm going to answer it when we come back from a very brief break. Um, my guest is Bonnie Gray. Uh, she is with us today to talk about Sweet Like Jasmine, Finding Identity in a Culture of Loneliness. And yes, we have copies of the book to give away. So if you're interested in entering the drawing uh, to um, for the books that we have in studio, just text the word book to 877-933-2484 and we'll be Right back for my revelation about when was the last time I looked at my birth certificate. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Continuing my conversation with author Bonnie Gray, you can find her at thebonniegray.com. The book we're talking about today, it's on its releasing today, is Sweet Like Jasmine, Finding Identity in a Culture of Loneliness. In it, um, one of the stories that Bonnie tells is the discovery of her birth certificate and uh, really going back to discover the storyline that, you know, she missed as a child. And it is, uh, it's provocative, it's encouraging. If you, um, if you are feeling alone, if you are wondering about the silence of your childhood, like you're having a hard time even remembering um, remembering things, well, part of that might be that you've suppressed some things that need to be rediscovered. 
this uh, this is an exploration of that, and every chapter ends with questions that are designed to help you see God at work in your own life. So just a really encouraging way of approaching our own stories um, through letters to our younger selves. It's a a very provocative um, uh, book, Sweet Like Jasmine. If you're interested in entering the drawing for the copies we have to give away today, text the word book to 877-933-2484. So, Bonnie, you asked me when was the last time I uh, looked at my birth certificate, and I can tell you it was when I had to track it down uh, to um, to change my name when I got married. Oh, wow. Although, oh, let me God. just go ahead and confess, it, 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 it took me, um, I, didn't, I didn't go and do that right when I got married. And so, um, actually, it was one of those like, I don't know, ninth anniversary gifts or something to my husband that I finally went, jumped through all of the, what I perceived to be ridiculous hoops of the Social Security Administration to legally change my name. There you go. That's a confession of my life. Oh my gosh. I love that story you just told me. It's green. My birth certificate is green. What color is yours? Mine's black and white. Mine's black and white. And I never looked closely at it. And you're right. That's when I had pulled it out, but I never looked at it closely. I just gave it to the person to change my name. No one, I got married. And what a great metaphor that God changes our name. We don't have Mm -hmm. to stay with the same labels that we experienced through circumstances that we did not choose of our own, or maybe we did choose, but now we look back and God does not look at those situations and say, this is who you are to be forever. God is the God who changes our names. So I stumbled on this birth certificate. I looked closely at it because I was trying to enroll my son in preschool, actually. Uh, when any mom that has t- two kids, once I got the second one, second child, I said, I need this older brother to get into a few hours of making Papa school stick art <laughs> so I can have some sanity. <laughs> but I noticed that on my birth certificate, it says I was born in a hospital called Chinese Hospital. And I was like, why is this hospital named Chinese after a ethnicity? In fact, it's the only hospital in the U.S. that's named after an ethnicity. I was so curious. Then I looked closer and it says my 18-year-old mother was living on the same street as the hospital in Chinatown. And I had not gone back. Once I got married, remember I was telling you right before the break, Carmen, that I just wanted Mm -hmm. to start a new life. Like that was very appealing to me. Good. Erase the path. I don't want it. But guess what? God wanted me to go back because I said, it dawned on me. One day my son is going to ask me, where is grandpa? And when did we come to America? And I have no idea. I had Hmm. no idea. I realized for my children, it's interesting. God knew how to get me, (laughs) not in a shameful way, but in a interesting curiosity, because I love a good story. I love novels and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll stay up all night turning the page. And I was like, Oh my gosh, I need to find my father. And at first it was for my child that, you know, how God inevitably knows I actually had to go back for me. I need to go understand why did he leave? And all those family secrets I ran away from as I went back to Chinatown to find my childhood home and the father who left me to find my answers and to, I had to also deal with my mom and all the different things in my past. I realized God loves me more than I thought because those parts I covered, he wanted me to shine the light. And we often just talk about a mountain 
mountaintop experiences. But yet most of life is lived in the valley. And that's where I was lonely. I was lonely because I had to hide those parts of myself. It seems like everywhere I went, there's different parts and pieces of me. You know, there wasn't mm -hmm. one place where I was whole. Like if I went to church, I shared these stories. Okay. If I went to work, I shared those stories. But these stories of my growing up lonely times and even in college and as I was work, kind of like the more older you get, the more you realize there's parts of us that you carry around, you know, kind of like this jumbled like baggage of stuff. And they're not necessarily bad things, but the fact that we hide them is where God's saying, you are my letter of Christ. That's why mm. in Second Corinthians says, you yourselves inscribed on our hearts, read by everyone, you are a letter of Christ, not written with ink, but with the spirit of the living God on tablets of stone, not on tablets of hearts. And so this book is about what I discovered about my true worth. It talks about 28 different aspects of my identity that God is saying, Bonnie, I don't want you to hide this about yourself. And in fact, this is where I'm most powerful. This is where I can shine the light. And listeners, something hard you've gone through and survived or overcome is the very encouragement another person needs. You know, you were so strong, you went through it on your own, but somebody else needs to hear that message. And so I experienced panic attacks, anxiety, depression, all these things that I never wanted to. But as I went through my journey, my story, I realized, you know what? A soldier doesn't experience panic attacks when he's on the battlefield. He is strong, he's helping his friends, he's solving the problems, getting through the battlefield. Soldier only experiences panic attacks when he comes home, when mm -hmm. he is safe. So I realized, okay, having anxiety panic attacks, it doesn't mean my faith has failed me. It means my faith has made me strong. I've overcome hard things. And so listener, if you're feeling anxiety, depression, panic attacks, all these things, it doesn't mean your faith is flawed. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It just means you've done good, brother. You've done good, sister. You've overcome something hard. And now it's time for you to take care of yourself. You're in a safe place in the loving arms of Jesus. We need to tell the stories that we thought we didn't want to tell. But God says, you are my light. That's how I shine my light through your life. You know, there's a verse that says, Amen. Yep. going through the pandemic, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and save those who are crushed in spirit. But how did he save us? How mm -hmm. did he heal the brokenhearted? That is what we need to know. We're not alone. We can walk together alongside each other. Absolutely. Gives us a gives us a new heart. Um, replace our heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Absolutely. Um, all right. So, uh, Bonnie, thank you so very much. You guys can find Bonnie at her website, thebonniegray.com. The book is Sweet oh, Like Jasmine, and Finding Bonnie, Identity actually, in a Culture of Loneliness. Yes. Go to sweetlikejasmine.com. I have a free journal for everyone who purchases an order. Sweetlikejasmine.com. Okay, great. Uh, we're also giving books away uh, today. Text the word book to 877-933-2484. Bonnie, um, thank you so very much. Thank you, Carmen. Absolutely. Blessed launch day. We'll be right back. <laughs> All right. Uh, today, I want to encourage you to uh, spend time in the Word of God, spend time in the throne room of God. Literally, all we have to do is turn our attention intentionally toward the Father. 
to be reminded that we're seen and that we're loved, that we're precious, that we're valued, that we're worthy. I mean, not because of anything that we've done, but because of who he is. And you are made in his image and he delights in you. Like all God the Father wants is for you today to turn to him and run to him like a little child. Um, Leap into his everlasting arms, feel his embrace, be ministered to by his spirit, be encouraged by his son. Jesus right now is interceding on your behalf. Those who are in Christ, like we've already overcome. So whatever it is that the world has for us today, difficult as it may be, what God the Father has for us is Christ and every spiritual benefit that redounds to us because of him. So let's live in that glory and grace this day. Have a great day and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.